Your good intentions have been stolen, and Venny Tortorich is here to help you get them back. Venny is the best-selling author of Fitness Confidential, Adventures in the Weight Loss Game. He has a popular podcast with the same name, and he's actually a celebrity fitness trainer. Some even call him America's Angriest Trainer. Venny, welcome to the Next Simple Step podcast. Why are you so angry? <laughs> you know, it's funny. When we started the podcast, we were calling it the America's Trainer podcast. And somebody else, some company, I want to say they extrude aluminum or something like that. That was their title. It was They were a training company or something to train people how to extrude aluminum. So I was like, damn, I can't use that. So my wife says, well, you're angry at what's going on around people. I'm not an angry guy. She goes, you're angry for people, so you should just call yourself the angriest trainer. And it worked because, you know, we've been podcasting now since 2011, I think, or 12, something like that. And it worked, but then I started getting invited on television shows because the podcast got really popular, national TV shows. And every time I went on a show, they would start off and go, you're America's angriest trainer. We've been talking to you in the green room and you don't seem so angry. Why do you come? And they would waste half my time trying to explain who I was. So we dropped the moniker and just called it the podcast the same as my book, Fitness Confidential. And that was a long way around of going, we don't even use that anymore. But boy, once something is on Google, that's it. That's it. Well, I did go back. I'm a recent convert. I discovered you on the Instagram and then found out you're quite prolific. You've got the podcast, the book, three documentaries. And I wouldn't describe you as angry. You're very entertaining, but you're passionate. And you do start off each show talking about our good intentions being stolen. What are those good intentions and how are you going to help us get them back? Well, you look, everybody does everything. You join a gym in January, right? And the intention is, I'm going to do better. I'm going to stop drinking as much, fill in the blank. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to go to this gym every day. You know, we have these intentions. And then you start down that road as people in today's world. Everybody wants quick results on everything. And because we want quick results, it's like, well, this is kind of working, but I want more. Maybe I should hire that trainer over there. Now, Look, most trainers in a gym today, like when, when I started training people in 1981 or 82, there was a handful of us in the country, period, just a small handful. Now, everybody who failed at everything else becomes a trainer. Literally, you can fail at dog walking in life. <laughs> and the next thing you become, there were people who I remember living in LA, I had clients who had kids in basements. They couldn't figure their way out of a basement. And next thing you know, they're a trainer. It's like, <laughs> you don't know anything about fitness. Oh, no, I, I took a weekend course on the internet and I became a trainer. <laughs> when I wrote my book and I wrote that in my book, my attorney, he was like, you're going to get sued for even saying that. My attorney, who knows nothing about fitness, became a trainer in six hours. <laughs> a, a certified trainer. A friend, I, I'm going to name drop again. My friend, Howie Mandel's son, Alex Mandel, I was telling him about this. And I said, you can become an ordained preacher in like a day or two. And he goes, you're kidding. I went, no, no, you can become, you know, a man of the cloth. And he did. And he officiated his sister Jackie's wedding. You can't make this stuff up. 
everybody can become whatever they want. And you sit there and go, well, this guy says he's an expert and that guy says he's an expert. And everybody's intentions in the process are being stolen. Absolutely. And I, I do say, and you give credit in your book, there are some good trainers. You just have to be able to decipher who's who. And in full disclosure, my wife and I bought a gym last summer. We happened to think the world of our trainers who did more than the weekend course. They're, they're fully certified, but we're doing group training classes. That's different than the personal training that you're talking about. But it's not just exclusive to trainers, right? It's everything. Marketing surrounds us. I think the study is the average person gets about 10,000 marketing messages at them every single day. And so it is hard to know what is true. I'll give you an example. I personally experienced this. I'm really into to running. I was told Brooks are good running shoes. And then I read somewhere that minimal shoes were better. So I switched to on clouds. And then I went even more minimal. I got zeros because they're zero drop. And then I just got the latest episode of Runner's World magazine. And they're recommending... We're running, they're featuring all these much heavier padded shoes. <laughs> if you can't trust Runner's World, what gives? Where, where do you find authentic sources of information? Who can you trust? Well, certainly not the magazines. I can tell you this. When my buddy, Christopher McDougall, wrote Born to Run, I was reading that book in bed on the first night. I just started laughing my ass off. I was <laughs> laughing hysterically. My wife goes, what's so funny? I said, well, this book is a big hit and everyone's going to step barefoot running, what is Runner's World going to do? <laughs> they, they exist to sell shoes. I mean, their advertisers are shoe cut like Nike and Brooks and Hookah One Ones and every brand out there. It's like now this guy came along and said, hey, these people over in the Copper Canyon, they wear sandals or they go barefoot and that's the best way to run. You know, and he made a really good case for it. I mean, he, he the book is an excellent book. People would always ask me, what shoe do you run? And it's like, you could buy yourself a Converse Chuck Taylors. Oh, yeah. And you, you can run in those. You go, you're going to kill yourself. It's like, no, you understand. When I was a kid, jogging shoes didn't exist. I ran thousands of miles in Chuck Taylors. No one knew any better until... Someone from Nike went over to, before it was even Nike, went over to Australia and did a running clinic, a jogging clinic with a guy there that we even started the whole running shoe business. It just didn't exist. So, yeah. And when you look at a, a Chuck Taylor, that's basically the same as what the Tahamaras are wearing, just a little thin piece of something under your foot. And it's zero drop. Yes. Think about it, Paul. You know more about 10 mil drop, 12 mil drop, 4 mil drop, zero drop. Who knew that five minutes ago until someone explained, you know, what we do in this country with the internet is we give people just enough knowledge to make them hang themselves as an expert. Right. And no one really knows what they're talking about. I have different interests like archery, right? And I'll go and read some stuff about archery and it's like, okay, I'm not a technician in any way, shape, or form, but I know enough about archery from shooting my entire life to know that that guy is giving out bad information. So it's by experience. Yeah, for sure. You, right. And, yeah. and no matter what, I think most people would do well to run in anything. Just go for a run <laughs> at the end of the day. You yeah. don't need to become a shoe expert. Yeah. And speaking of shoe experts, have you ever been in, I'm not going to say any of the names of stores, but 
You ever been in a running store where they have a high school dropout working as the shoe expert? You know, they, they, <laughs> yes, I know the one. Yeah. And they put you on a treadmill and they got a camera looking at you. And this guy goes, oh, you're pronating and you're, you're supinating. And we need to give you a, a, this shoe or that shoe. I am seduced by that stuff. I love it. I walked in one of the, you know, my wife became an ultra runner at some point and we needed some shoes and she orders all the shoes she needs on the internet, but something happened. We were somewhere and she walks into it. This is a woman that's getting ready to run a hundred K race the next day, but she forgot her shoe, you know, like her favorite shoes. And we found this, that store in that town and we walk in and the guy's like, oh, I need to watch you run that treadmill. So I wink at my wife and she goes, <laughs> okay. And she just plays along and he's like, oh, you're pronating. And it's like, I don't know, I think she's supinating. He didn't know the supination word. He only knew the prayer. <laughs> he only, the only had the one taught word, yeah. Yeah, they gave him the word, and that was <laughs> it. And then I started saying stuff to him. It's like, mm, I don't know. Looks like a third metatarsal is striking funny. What do you think? And he goes, I don't know. What do you think? I was like, and I just I kept melting. I was like, what do you think about the calcaneus? Do you, do you think maybe she should have it surgically <laughs> shaved in order to make it? And the gastrocnemius doesn't seem to be striking with it. What do you think we should do with that? The guy was looking at me like I was on crack. Yeah. But I was just having fun. You know, sometimes I have to have fun. Yeah, it's like you gave a, a guy with, I can't even get a junior college education, a job as a, an expert, and they're lying. Again, good intentions are being stolen. It's very true. And <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. I actually looked at buying one of those shoe stores because I was such a fan, but I'm kind of glad I didn't <laughs> in this case because I've since been and, and I've met that high schooler who has good intentions himself, but has no clue what he's talking about. Yeah. And look, I'm glad the guy has a job. That it, I don't begrudge the guy working. I'm just saying that this company has put together a plan where you could teach any monkey to regurgitate the, plan. the word pronate and you're a heel striker. Oh, you're a forefront striker. It's all BS. Yeah. And you're a big fan of calling out BS wherever you find it. And you've probably made a few enemies along the way. And specifically, I think where you strike the biggest chord is with your NSNG lifestyle that you talk about in the book and promote often on your podcast, which NSNG, no sugar, no grains. And sugar's a big, big industry to say the least. And I wonder how that's received, right? And as a parent, I'm thinking, I know limiting sugar is a good thing. If parents are listening, of course, we don't want to constantly feed our kids sugar, but a little sugar is okay, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, sugar, I always say sugar should be treated the way alcohol is treated. You don't drink alcohol all day, every day, do you? I don't. No. That... <laughs> and if you did, you would become an alcoholic. And right. You would have problems. You would have fatty liver disease, just like you would get with sugar. You would get, well, they would call it alcohol type 2. You know, they used to call it alcohol type 2. But now they call it non-alcoholic type 2, which comes from sugar. It's the same type 2 diabetes except you get one from alcohol. You see, these chemicals are very similar, but you would never think of giving your, how old is your kid? Well, I have three, so 15, 11, and seven. You wouldn't give your seven-year-old alcohol, would you? I would not, no, or, nor the 15-year-old at this point. <laughs> right, but I was on Dr. Drew's show once, and I was explaining how sugar lights up the brain the same as cocaine. And Dr. Drew, being a specialist when it comes to drugs and the whole thing, 
he said to me, he goes, well, it, it, it's kind of the same, but it's not exactly the same. Cocaine does this, that, and the other thing. I said, yeah, but we're not giving cocaine to kids at birthday parties. Right. That's the difference. We're turning them into little addicts. Every time your kid goes to soccer practice, there's one mommy in charge with bringing junk food out every single time. When I was a kid, that, when I was a kid, everything was different. <laughs> See, it was the roaring 20s and all. But when I was a kid, there was no mommy with a muffin tray. You know, I practice. My mom didn't even know I was at practice. I came home at five o'clock all sweaty and she was like, oh, oh, you were playing ball. oh, good. Yeah, you were moving. That's a good thing. Go clean up now. But now everyone's involved, you know, giving these little Tootsie Pops everything they can eat after they kicked a soccer ball for 15 minutes. It's crazy. We're not going down a good road. I don't know if that's where you wanted to go with this, but that's where I went. I'm sorry. No, I I appreciate that. And actually, since you point that out, yeah, when I was a kid, I'm not that old. I'm 41. It was orange slices. And you're right. I haven't seen orange slices at a practice actually ever with my kids. It really is. It's it's Oreos and it's chips and it's, you know, junk food, as you said. Well, if you're the mom that brings orange slices, you're going to get talked about by the other moms. Right. What's your wife's name, Paul? Marianne. Oh, did you see Marianne? She brought orange slices. <laughs> did she forget? And she had some oranges at home. She just sliced them up for the kids. Can you believe? Right. Yeah, I mean, what, is she broke? Do they not have money? She brought orange slices? You're competing against Susie Cakes. You can't outrun Susie Cakes with an orange. No, that's a great point. It is kind of socially acceptable. The social norm is to have the junk food at the parties, at the soccer practice. So how do we turn the tide here? I know the schools aren't any help either because they're they're not feeding healthy, nutritious food. So we do pack our kids lunch for the most part to try to limit the damage. So how do we turn that tide? You're personally doing it by packing your kids lunch, Paul. And I'm not kidding about that. The schools are still going in the wrong direction because the schools are controlled by big unions. This makes me sound like a kook. I sound like a 70s hippie. But <laughs> these schools are being controlled by big unions. And I mean, look at what happened during the pandemic. There was no reason for one kid to stay home during the pandemic. You know, we know that now. That's not me being a conspiracy theorist. But the teachers unions got together and said, hey, politicians, we get you guys elected. We don't want to go to work and we want to get paid. So now we know kids could have stayed in school the entire time. But we weren't following the science, as they were saying. We were following the money with the teachers' unions. And now we see the same thing with food. You got the New York mayor yelling about meatless Mondays and cutting meat out of school altogether. And during the Obama administration, they started calling pizza a vegetable. I'm not making a joke, folks. <laughs> that, that can't be fact. true. As I like to say, you can Google that shit. And I don't talk politics. I don't mean to say the Obama administration as if I'm a right wing guy because I'm not. I don't talk politics at all. I just remember that during that administration, I remember when President Clinton decided it was a good thing he pulled soft drinks out of school during his administration. You know, no more soft drinks at school. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. But I did the follow up. And as it turns out, they removed the soft drinks, but they left the machines behind and they filled it with fruit juice and orange juice and apple juice. And you, okay, then it's got to be better, right? There's actually more sugar in that stuff. Oh, but those are healthy sugars, right? <laughs> yeah. That's like saying healthy plutonium. 
Now you can <laughs> you can have plutonium. This is the natural healthy plutonium. Right. I guess all plutonium is natural, but poppy seeds are grown in a field. Therefore, heroin has to be good. You know, it, it <laughs> makes no sense. There's nothing healthy about any sugar whatsoever. Your liver sees it all the same way. Yeah. And in this NSNG lifestyle, and you've got a PDF on your website that folks can check out, you're really talking about limiting not just the sugar, but also the grains and low carb. And I know I've heard from a number of nutritionists and trainers who will tell you, and as you mentioned, all trainers aren't created equally, but carbs aren't bad. It's a part of your diet. And especially when you're working out, you need carbs, you need them for energy. What do you say to that? Well, let's see. I don't eat any carbs. I climbed Mont Blanc, with, that's a glacier over in Europe, tallest spot in Western Europe. I climbed that with no carbs. I can ride a bike 100 miles, no carbs. I can get in a rowboat and go. I'll get my kayak and go 20 miles, no carbs. I'll get on a mountain bike, two, three hours, no carbs. So I'm not quite sure where you need these carbs. I'm climbing Mount Whitney twice the summer. I'm going up, I'm coming down, I'm going back up and coming down again. It's usually 12 to 14 hours per trip up and back. I'm not going to use any carbs. So I challenge any trainer who says you need carbs. And some trainers, and these are my favorites, the ones that say you need carbs to build muscle. Carbohydrates are a macronutrient that doesn't add anything to... When you break down muscle, you rebuild it with protein, period. It's period. There's nothing else there. We use fat for energy. The fat can be turned in, you know, to a butyrate known as a, a ketone body, and your body can learn to use those very efficiently. I know my body has, and my body is no different than yours or anyone else's. So if anyone can tell me why the macronutrient carbohydrate has to exist on any level, I'd like to hear it. Now, the argument from the trainers will be, dude, broski, you don't understand, bro, brother. You need insulin, and the insulin does it. I love how they start using fancy words, and they don't really know what they mean. <laughs> We're back to the shoe store, Lackey, right? Yeah, but they, they read it in Muscle and Fitness, and all of a sudden, they're an expert. It was like back in the 70s, you know, because I've been in the gym now for over 50 odd years, and back in the 70s, guys were trying to tell me about steroids back when everybody was taking. There was a simple steroid called Dianabol, and it was, dude... You could take this Dianabol, you cycle for six weeks and you go off and like, then you could go back on and your body will the uptake and the whole thing. And I was sitting there and go, aren't you a pipe fitter on an oil line? What do you know about synthetic hormones? <laughs> and you, you, Really? But these guys would talk about it as if it was some kind of fait complaint. And it's the same thing that goes on with these guys today. And they say, oh, you need the insulin the blah, 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 to build muscle. False. No. I have all the, I'm 60 years old. I've never taken a hormone in my life. I'm not on a TRT or whatever they call this stuff. Nothing. And I can build all the muscle I want. The only carbohydrates that go into my body are cruciferous vegetables. And I have those like once a day. So I don't really get, I mean, there's some carbs in the nuts I eat, right? There's no reason for any more carbohydrates than that. If you said, Vinny, can you go a month and have zero carbs? And, and Yeah, and I have done, where I've just eaten meat and eggs and coconut oil and olive oil and that kind of thing. I've gone zero carb to prove that you can do zero carb. And as a matter of fact, the only side effect I had was I actually felt better, if that's even possible. Well, it is. I 
was just curious. I love to learn and about my own body and what works and what doesn't and end up doing the things that bring me more energy. And so I got a continuous glucose monitor for a few months and learned because I enjoyed my fruit and I would have a big bowl of grapes and I saw what that did to my blood sugar, <laughs> you know, went through the roof. And of course, what goes up comes down and when it crashes, so does my energy. And so I've learned, you know, which fruits and the order in which you eat foods matters as well. I'm resonating with what you're saying, but I know that there's a lot that passionately disagree. And, you know, so I'm looking for a leg to stand on, especially to get back to running for just a second. Everybody in races are always carrying around those goos, which is pure sugar. And I don't, generally eat sugar. But if I'm in a long race, I do what I got to do. Right. And I'm taking the goose along everybody else. So you've done these ultras, 500 miles, you know, climbing mountains, all those things. So what are you doing to fuel those races? Well, I don't do them anymore, but most of the time when I was doing those, I was using sugar and lots of goo and sustained energy and all that crap. And after I went through cancer, I decided to get away from all that, even when I was racing. So I did one more season using sugars limited. That first year back, I got onto meat and coconut oil and all that kind of stuff. And on Saturdays, because of the rides I did to train during the week, they were two, two and a half, three hours. I didn't have to take anything except water and electrolytes. And the electrolytes I took back then before I started my own company was like, salt stick or S-caps. Or so. so there's no sugar in that. It was just salt and minerals. Right. On the two, three-hour rides, I would go and take nothing because I was able to sustain. It was only when I got on the Saturday rides where I would be on a bike 10, 12, 15, towards close to a race, sometimes even 17, 18 hours on a bike. And that sounds crazy, but that's why I don't do those things anymore. But four or five hours in, now you know you need stuff, Right. And I would start eating the goos and the this and the that. I would also bring peanut butter. And what I would do is I would mix peanut butter with coconut oil. And I would put just a little honey in it. So now I had more protein and fat with just a little honey to kind of mix it. And that's when I started thinking, oh, wait, I need to come up with a product just like goo. And I feel like I'm going into an advertisement now. But that's how, <laughs> I, that's how I came up with my product, Ultra Fat. It came out of that. We used to call it Venergy. Venergy. <laughs> because right. I would, whenever I would yell to my people in the van, what do you need? It's like, give me my energy. And so in the van, they called it Vinny's Energy. And then it got shortened to Venergy. Now that's a product that's we can't keep on the shelves called Ultra Fat. I came up with the product and I took the honey out and there's absolutely no carbs in it, except for a little bit of carbs that come in, in the nut butter. But that's about it. You talk about that ultra fat, we're told that fat is going to make us fat, right? Everything's right. marketed as zero fat as a good thing. So you're telling us that's not true. Look, I, I'm pretty well ripped for a 60-year-old man, as ripped as a 60-year-old man can be. And most of my diet, 60, 60 to 70% of my diet every day comes from fat. So I'm not quite sure how fat's going to make me or anyone. And my business is working with morbidly obese people. And when you're looking at a four or five or 600 pound man or woman, the first thing I do is get them to eat more fat so that I can get them off of that sugar addiction. Whenever a fat person, a morbidly obese person tries to lose weight, all of a sudden they're starving, they're craving foods, they feel like they're on a high wire without a net, right? And they're just right. they're white knuckling everything. 
So when you come in and say, listen, calm down, have all the fat you want, we can crack back on that later. Let's just get your A1Cs away from 12 or 13. Let's get them down to normal level. Let's start getting you off of the Wegovy and the metformin and all the other crap you're taking. Some of these people are on three and four and five drugs stacked and still have an A1C of like 13. It's so sad. They have fatty liver disease. They all have CPAP machines for sleep apnea. These are all things that didn't exist in the 70s and 80s. When I was growing up, there was no such thing as a CPAP. No one had that. Fatty liver disease was, again, what an alcoholic had in the throes of alcoholism right before they died. These were not things that normal people had. You didn't have people with uh, neuropathy getting limbs chopped off because of all the crap we're eating now. And it's sugar, it's, it's grain, it's seed oils, it's processed crap. And that's the first thing I do is put them on the good fat, get them off of all the carbohydrates, get them off of the seed oils, which is bad fats. We don't have to get into that. Sure. But the bottom line is, once you get them moving in the right direction, their body takes over. The body wants to do the right thing, right? And then all of a sudden, and, and these people get angry. They'll lose three, four, five hundred 500 pounds. And they'll realize, I didn't have to have my stomach cut out, which a lot of them have, even though they, they'll get them bypass, cut out. Right. Yeah, they'll get gastric bypass or a sleeve or a phobia pouch or one of the iterations. And then they'll put all the weight back on plus. And some of these people are angry because they had toes chopped off or feet chopped off or up to the knee. And, and it was like, well, why did my doctor know this? And it's like, I don't know. I don't know why you're doc because they won't listen to me because, well, I don't have an MD, right? I have a degree in exercise physiology and nutrition. I read the same books they read as undergrads, but they weren't really interested in learning it. They were interested in getting into med school. That's the difference. They were moving on to medicine. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt unless they give a reason not to. I have a good friend, a medical doctor, and he would share many of the same views you have, but he's really troubled with the fact he doesn't have time to explain and unpack everything that you're talking about here because somebody comes to him and he's only got 10 minutes with this patient and they just want a quick pill, a prescription to cure what's ailing them in the moment. And at the end of the day, he's like, you've got to change your whole lifestyle and we can't do that in a 10 minute conversation. Right. And that's why a lot of doctors are going to these concierge programs. They're leaving the big... And look, I feel bad for doctors. I have a lot of doctors on my podcast. You know, we've done over 2,300 shows now. And every Friday we bring a doctor on. And they all say the same thing, kind of like your friend. They say the same thing off the air. We don't have time. And they get tired of just handing out drugs. So they'll go into concierge service. or they'll go into, instead of standard of care and sick care, they'll go into well care. I can name some, Trochalasian over in New York. Dr. Uh, Philip Avedia down in Florida, who's a heart surgeon, another cardiac guy, Brett Shear, who's been in my movies down in California, San Diego. All of these guys have left Brian Linsky's. I, I could go on and on and on. These guys got tired of standard of care, also known as sick care. And they decided to start treating people one at a time. Now, a lot of times insurance won't cover that. Who gets to use this? Well, people with money, they're getting better. And here's the thing, this can sound doom and gloom, like, is it too late for me? And the good news is it's not. If you're still alive and kicking, you've still got some hope. And there's a great quote in your book 
that I'd just love for you to elaborate on because I think it's encouraging for those of us that do want to take care of our health. And as we're getting older, know that like our glory days aren't necessarily behind us, right? And there's this quote, the whole notion that athletics are for the young is turned upside down in ultra sports where youthful competitors are often left scratching their heads as people twice their age sail past. It's not about young legs. It's about wisdom and experience. Wow, I can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> it makes me sound like I actually know something. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, wow. I got to call my mom and tell her to read my book again. <laughs> my mom is so much smarter than I am, and, and she's just one of those people. Yeah, people always wonder in these ultra races, you know, these young guys, 25, 30-year-old guys, they come out of the gate screaming and the rest of us are holding back because we realize that you can't win a 500-mile a race in the first 100 miles. And somewhere around mile 300, these guys are inside the road and we just amble on by, right? Because it's the long run. And it's what you learn along the way. I'm a competitive guy. I, I shoot skeet competitively and I mess around with archery. And a guy I shoot skeet with, a guy named Mike, he always says, look, it's a game of 25. A lot of people walk away and go, eh, I didn't do so bad that round I hit 23. But it's a game of 25. Right. You got to hit all 25 because if you miss, if you hit 23, if you miss two every round, there's four rounds in a competition. You've now missed eight shots. You've only hit 92 percent. Well, and you're playing the long game, right? And so you can't really change the past, but you can make a difference now. And it is interesting. We're talking about getting your health in order. And I am a student of health and science and want to learn and absorb as much information and apply it as I can. And I've become really fascinated with this idea of health span because a lot of people talk about lifespan as their modern medicine's amazing. It can keep us breathing. It can keep our heart beating for a long time, but in a miserable condition because you're not able to move and function. And so much more important to me than lifespan is the health span. And that's exactly what you're talking about, because you might not be able to control the number of years you have left. There's some genetics at play and other things, but you can certainly improve the quality of those years. Uh, Yeah. True statement has never been. I I like that lifespan, health span, because I remember my parents and people my parents' age, they were acting old when they were like 45. True. Yes. It was like weird, you know, because I sailed past 45. I was still competing at a very high level in ultra sports and went right past 50 doing that. And even though I don't do ultra sports anymore, I still do things at a very high level as high as I can. And by the way, they're all just, you know, self-imposed lines, right? Like I'm looking at my rowing machine right to the right of me here. And today, today is May 1st. I'll just give you an example. May 1st starts the brand new year at Concept 2. Concept 2's annual year goes from May 1st through April 30th every year. And every year I put a million meters on my rowing machine. Well, you know, yeah, if you try to do it all at once, a million meters is a lot, but <laughs> right. I get on the thing three or four days a week, and by the time the end of the year comes, I'm well past another million meters, right? It's not, it's not such a big deal at that point. Or you can look at the equipment and hang clothes on it. So you have a choice. Well, nothing seems worse to me than like an exercise bike, because I love to ride a bike outside in nature. 
And I realize in the brutal cold of winter, that is probably a perk, but in a rowing machine, now you're talking, I, I've fallen in love with the rowing machine. It works so many different parts of your body and muscles. And yeah, you get a wor good workout every time you go on the rower. It works 80% of all of your muscles in an aerobic capacity. There's very few exercises. I mean, cross-country skiing is probably the only exercise I can think of that works more of your body. And how much more? I would have to figure it out. But look, right next to that, there's a spinner. And I don't know if you can see in the mirror behind me, you can see the television that's up there. Yeah. All right. That television is designed to go up and down the wall. It slides up and down. As you can tell right now, it's about medium, which means I was watching television last night. But if I get on the spinner, I put it all the way down because you don't want to crane your neck all the way up. <laughs> and when I'm on the rowing right. machine, it's way high. It's almost touching that beam up top because when you're on a rowing machine, you want to look eye level or up. And people go, well, and you spend a lot of time thinking about that. It's like, yes, I do, because here's the deal. If you're going to watch television, you might as well be doing something besides sitting there because sitting there, you're rotting. And, you know, I have a paddle erg where I can simulate paddling. I have the Concept 2 next to that, and I have the Schwinn spinner next to that. And that's what I use all the time. And people go, you actually use them? It's like, yeah, yeah, I rust them out. I wear them out. It takes years, right? But I take pride in wearing out equipment and just fixing it and using it again. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we doing as people? And, you know, maybe not everybody's as competitive as you or me. And that all sounds really intimidating. Like I'm never going to buy a rower or I'm never going to run an ultra or even, you know, a half marathon for that matter, maybe not even a 5K. What do you suggest to people? You work, as you mentioned, with a lot of really unhealthy, obese folks that just want to be healthy, what is a next simple step for them in their physical fitness? We've talked a lot about, you know, cutting the carbs first, but physically, what do you suggest they do to kind of start a habit? Anything. And one of the big things, there's a woman I'm going to be talking to later today. Her name is Jen. Jen has lost about hundred pounds. She's probably got another 150 or 200 to go. And what happens is when people are in the throes of this, they don't have energy to do anything. But once they start eating correctly, all of a sudden they start feeling energy. But when you weigh 450 pounds and you're a woman, man, it's really, you know, it's like, what do you tell them to do? They can't jump rope yet. They can't do anything. So I try to get them to do things like, it's like, hey, where do you live? But always figure out where they live and what's around them. Do you live in an inner city? Because I don't want you to go outside and get shot, right? Do you live in an area? Can you get to a gym? I figure out what they can do. Sometimes it's literally walk to your mailbox, walk back, give me a call when you get back. And by the way, I do a lot of these calls. I do paid phone calls, but I do a lot of these calls just on the house because I'm trying to help people. And it's like, when you get back, text me. And then I'll say, okay, tomorrow you got to your mailbox? Yes get to the mailbox, come back, get to the mailbox again and come back and text me. And after they do that a few times, they're off and running. And then they'll say, well, can I do anything else? Yeah. Wall push-ups. And they go, huh? Do push I just want you to put a little pressure on the wall and push yourself away. Just a little bit. Because asking these people, a 450-pound woman to do a push-up, even from her knees, it's not going to happen. That's a lot. That, that's like a guy bench pressing 280 pounds. 
You're not going to yeah. do that. No. And that's what I appreciate. That's what I've, in the short time I've listened to your podcast and read your book, I can tell you do care about people at the end of the day. And everything's context dependent. It matters. Like you say, you get to know who you're talking to and who you're coaching and there is a plan for you. And so I love that you're putting it all out there. So even if somebody can't afford to maybe hire you as a trainer, you've put most of the content out there for free and your documentaries are excellent as well. Kind of the learning the why behind why we've been lied to on some of these things and why maybe we're not getting the results that we would hope to get. And it's not too late to make that change. One more thing, Vinny, before I let you go, because I love this, I want maybe if you could elaborate on it. Everybody talks about IQ. I've talked a lot about EQ or emotional intelligence. I think that is critical for people. Uh, I think you have a high emotional intelligence, just getting to know people. But then in your book, you say you also care about FQ. And that was new to me. What's FQ? It's one of my, one of those little Vinny creations. It's a good one, though. I want to use it. Look, I grew up in the swamp. And we, I, I mean, nobody leaves the swamp. And it's because it's comfortable. You know, families are down there and everyone is in it. You know, you get to know family and friends and the whole thing. And even if people go off to LSU or somewhere 30, 40 minutes away, they always come home because their uncle has a job for them or they have this or that. And yeah, it's familiar. And I wanted to see the world. And I wasn't going to be scared by the world. And I think this happened because both of my parents were educators and my dad was a doctorate of history, American history. So every summer they would put us in a car. This is a long answer to your FQ thing. Sorry about that. But no, it's okay. Every summer they would put us in a car and drive us around the country. And we would get to like Georgia and I would look down and it would be like red dirt, red clay. I was like, wow, this is like I was fascinated by red clay. Or we would be going somewhere in late August and we would be driving up the East Coast and the leaves are changing. Leaves never change in Louisiana. It's subtropical. It's swamps, right? And no matter, you know, we would go off to the Rocky Mountains and just seeing these majestic mountains and seeing snow. It's like July and there's snow still on top. And you're driving up there and we would get out and touch the snow because there's no snow where I live. And man, I couldn't wait to discover more of the world. And I knew everyone around me was scared to do that. Everyone I grew up with. And I figured out that we're going to fail a lot in life. But it's not about the number of times you fail. It's the number, you know, the FQ, failure quotient. It's the number of times you could come back from that failure. See, everybody was looking for that comfort zone where they wouldn't fail. I could go to work for my uncle. I can go to work. I, I know a guy over at the plant. I could get in the plant and get one of, as I call them, Homer Simpson jobs, right? Where you just do a mindless job looking at a meter every day. And that's fine for people. I don't begrudge people that want to do that. It's safe, but they never really learn anything. They only know what they know. They might go on a vacation every year where they sit around at the beach and drink a lot of beer. I don't know what they do. I really don't know. But I wanted to go out there and try everything. And I knew I would fail over and over and over again. But I only knew that I had to exceed one more time than I failed. And I've taken that lesson through life. I own four companies. That shouldn't be for a guy that grew up in a swamp that was basically considered least likely to succeed in this class. But I own four successful companies. 
How does that happen? Well, it happens by failing an awful lot. Yeah. And as a entrepreneur, I really admire that. I wonder though, I think there's also the other end of the spectrum where somebody gets a little bit amount of success and maybe one successful company, and then that's where you plateau because you don't want to risk it. Right. And I think that's a struggle every stage of the game. You don't just get to one level of success and then it, you get too comfortable because kind of that's where it ends. I love that you're just naturally curious and you keep trying. That's hence why you got to four companies. Yeah. Well, I hate being comfortable. My wife and I have been talking about going on a Caribbean vacation for years. As, as a matter of fact, we planned one for March 2020. And or, or April 2020, we were going off to some fancy place, like Aruba, somewhere like that. And I was getting nervous about it. I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be sitting on the beach. And then what do I do? And what if someone brings me a drink? Do I tip them? I don't even know what to do. I, 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 you know, <laughs> I've become successful in life and I don't even know how to go be comfortable. And then COVID came along and I went, at least I don't have to take that trip now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because every time I take a trip, I'm running off to a mountain. You know, I'm running At off. At least I don't have to take a vacation now. I think you're the one guy. That's the silver lining of COVID right there. <laughs> it's like, I can stay home. <laughs> and look, we do go, my wife is from Europe. So we go, to, we go to England and one of her sisters live in Paris. So we go there. But when I'm there, I'm not there drinking a drink with an umbrella in it. It's Oh my God, let's go see the Louvre. I want to go see this. I want to go see that. I want to go, how far am I? Can I fly to another country and go climb the Matterhorn? What, what, what can I do while I'm here? The last time I was in England, my brother-in-law took me pheasant hunting, which is a completely different hunt than, you know, I grew up hunting here and they get dressed up. You know, you have a coat and tie on and they literally serve you drinks. Now, There's a uniform. Yeah, you wear a uniform. They have to give me the coat and tie and everything and fedora. And I'm out there hunting and then we take a break and they gave me an alcoholic drink. And I was like, we're still shooting later, right? And they're like, oh, yes. Have you <laughs> drink and we'll shoot more later. And I'm like, wow, this is something that doesn't happen in America. No one drinks until you're completely done. So that's probably a good rule. I don't know that you want to be around a bunch of guys drinking and shooting. Oh, God, but. no. But boy, that day I did. Because that's the way they <laughs> roll over in the UK. the culture, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, I, I, want, I want to do what they're doing there. Sure. Kind of like Jay Peterman. And if you listen, watch the old Seinfeld shows, I like to go somewhere and just do this immersion of what's going on in that culture. I went to England and did, I did everything you do in England. I mean, India. I did everything you do in India. You go to Australia, you do what they do in Australia. But God, please don't bring me to a beach. And I don't know what to do with that. Well, you're, my, you're speaking my language. I, I'm with you there. I don't know what to do at the beach. But I have been to India and Africa a couple of times. And it's amazing. Big, beautiful world out there. Yeah. And there's a lot to learn from other people and other cultures. And I'm with you. But I think you've offered a lot of encouragement here, I think, for somebody that might be listening and might be discouraged that their best intentions have been hijacked. 
that you're not alone, first of all. And second of all, I mean, there is some hope. There is a way out. And you can check out all of Vinny's resources at his website, vinnytortorich.com. And you can check out his podcast, his book. And then, of course, you've got a PDF as well of all the NSNG recommendations if folks want to try that out and see if that helps them have more energy and be healthier. So, Vinny, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a huge honor. Paul, thanks for having me on, man. This has been great. You're welcome. Well, thanks for being here and thanks for listening to the next Simple Step podcast. 